Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. On the heels of an absolutely yucky weekend weather-wise, it is gorgeous on a Tuesday. You've got home baseball tonight in Starkville, home baseball tonight in Oxford. Southern Miss is on the road playing in Mobile tonight against South Alabama. So a lot of baseball to get to with you this afternoon. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along uh, for the ride across the entire Magnolia State, or if you're listening on the app or on your computer, sitting at the desk, waiting on 5 o'clock to arrive. Thanks for joining us. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. You can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. C Spire reminds you not to text and drive. C Spire, customer inspired. Great day for baseball. Borky, what's up? A little tired today. I tried to stay up and watch the end, and this is the last NBA we'll talk today. Tried to stay up and watch uh, Golden State and, and the Clippers last night. But it was an absolute blowout, and so I went to bed at halftime. It was a 23-point game at halftime. It stretched all the way out to 31. I went to bed, didn't feel like sticking it out because it was an absolute blowout. The Warriors were going to take a 3-0 lead. I wake up in the morning, check Twitter, and a 31-point blown lead by the Warriors last night, and now it's looking ugly there. Uh, This year, this is it for the Warriors as we know them, but man, they are mentally fragile. Why, why do you think that is? I think Kevin Durant wants to be the guy somewhere, specifically New York, and I think Clay Thompson is going to want a bigger deal somewhere. No, 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 no. I don't mean why do you think it's the end. I, I, I don't disagree with you on that point. I think that roster is going to look different. Why do you think that team, of all teams in the NBA, is mentally fragile? Oh, that's a good. I mean, they already they've shown signs of this for a little while, and then you add Boogie Cousins, who. God bless him. Got hurt again last night. Uh, tore his quad, so he's Which done for the playoffs. So unbelievably painful. I mean, he goes from an Achilles tear to a torn quad. Yeah, that's uh, no good. Unbelievable. But I, I think it's getting to Kevin Durant specifically. Watching Patrick Beverly, who's a great defender and a great player, get all up in his head in two games, one of which was an actual dominating win by the Warriors. It's unlike anything I've ever seen in sports. An athlete who's at the top of his game, arguably arguably the best player in the playoffs right now, I would say Giannis, but you can make the case for Kevin Durant. And he looks, I mean, Patrick Beverly. Who, who is Patrick Beverly? No, Nobody knows who that is. Former Arkansas Razorback. Yeah, is in it completely in his head. He had nine turnovers last night. 
just completely he is he's always been this way because you've read stories about his uh, burner Twitter accounts that he used to defend himself online and how he's not comfortable not being the guy. He doesn't like other players getting positive press. He, he's a weird cat. But now he, it's spilling over on the court as well. Yeah, he's an odd bird. Speaking of people that can relate to being mentally fragile, what's up, hey, Dad? <laughs> you know, first off, I, I just want to laugh at Michael Bork ha- for a second. Happy he, Tuesday. Yes, yes, yes. Michael said he was tired. He's a little tired. He's what, eight months from having a kid? And you're a little tired now, buddy. You need to sleep while you can. Get on it. You should go take a nap right now. We'll carry it for a little while. I'll just Man. leave the mics on. I'll see you Just later. leave them on. We'll figure it out. Oh, my yeah, God. The whole tired thing. Yeah, because I stayed up a little too late watching a ball game. What happens when you stay up a little too late watching a ball game and then about an hour and a half after you go to sleep, you hear that crying from the other room or maybe the, you, you start out with the bassinet in the master bedroom, and you hear the crying, and guess what? You are awake again. Now, yep. now I will say this, Borky, and hey, Dad, I don't know if you fell into this category or not. Um, one, I, I've done my best to help in the middle of the night, and I'm usually pretty good about waking up in the middle of the night. Like even Frances is almost two years old, but she still cries out in the night, and you know, I know it's probably not what you're supposed to do, but I generally, instead of going and rocking her, I'll go pick her up and bring her and snuggle her up in the bed next to me. And it seems to work for us. She doesn't flop and flail when she's next to me like she does when she's next to Jane in the bed. So that works for us. I'm good about getting up in the middle of the night and helping. I'm not good about getting up like I should to help get the kids ready for school in the morning. Uh, This morning was one of those examples. We need to leave the house about 10 after 7, maybe a hair before that. I think I rolled out of the sack about 6.51 Jane didn't have a whole lot to say about me. To me, I guess maybe she's used to it, but I, I did get kind of one of those sideways looks when I walked in. I was like, hey, is there anything I can do to help? Uh, so, hey, Dad, were, were you able to, if you got up in the middle of the night, able to quickly go back to sleep, or were you one of those guys that once you were awake, it took you like an hour to get back to sleep? I can go back to sleep under any certain situation. As soon as I'm I wake, if I wake up in the middle of the night, as soon as I go right back to bed, I'm out. I'm out. I'm good. I'm see, good like see that. Borky, that's an important thing to know about yourself. Do you know how you're going to respond in those situations? Um, not like you guys. So I'm a very light sleeper. I, Even though I just said I was tired, I don't require a lot of sleep. Any movement, any noise, anything gets me up, and, and I'm oh, up God. for a while. Um, I, our dog, or my dog, still sleeps between my legs, and he's very alert as well. So if he, like, I have an idiot neighbor kid who gets home and blares music at 2 a.m. When that happens, my dog is up and alert and, like, going to check to make sure nobody's breaking into the house. That wakes me up, and I'm up for a couple hours. So I'll just Ooh. pull up my phone and, and read stuff while I'm oh. trying to get back to sleep. Yeah, good All luck bad. with that. That's you you think you're tired now. You're, you're going to be like one of those zombie <laughs> characters uh, about, uh, what, nine, ten months from now? I'll just end up doing work. I'll get I'll go into my office and, and just work on this so I can we'll take naps in my office during in the, the day. Beautiful. Beautiful. Rippy, do you, do you have trouble if you wake up in the middle of the night going back to sleep? No, and I rarely wake up. <laughs> Ask <What>? Hey Dad. <laughs> he, he does. He slept through the night both, both nights in Nashville. Is is Hey Dad a bad roommate? No, not at all. He just warned me that he was a snorer. He and didn't lie. No, oh, I wouldn't know. I was KO'd. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, Borky, did you just complain about some young hooligan keeping you up past your bedtime? 
Basically, yeah. And you're having a kid. I finally yelled at him the other day. I, I, I transitioned into old man the other night. It was... Well, hold on a second. What do you mean you transitioned? I have, you you, you yeah. slammed the door in the face of a young group okay, of car- carolers did, around the holiday. Th- see, you didn't transition to being an old man. You've been an old man. I didn't do that. I said I wanted to do that. There's a difference there. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of difference or not. But I finally yelled at him. It, it was it was last Tuesday. And did you curse? No, I didn't. I avoided that because he and his buddies are out sitting on their trucks at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I don't want to get my car keyed. But it was last week, and Katie has been pregnant, obviously, and she really just was not feeling well and was trying to sleep and couldn't sleep and was just pregnant sick. And it was like 11 o'clock, and this dude sitting in his driveway, blaring his bass, vibrating our house. It's... (laughs) And so I finally open the door and yell, it's 11 o'clock, shut it the hell down. And he did. did curse. So you did curse at it. Yeah, I don't know if that counts, though. H-E-double hockey sticks, it counts. I don't think you said hell, to be honest with you. But he did and then has not really annoyed me since. So maybe it worked. I don't know. And my car, as far as I know, hasn't been keyed. Uh, About the only time that I go into full-on grumpy old man mode, is when a car comes down our street too fast. Like if we're out in the front yard, old house or the house that we're in right now, and you got one of those people that's not paying attention, they come barreling down the street. We live on like a dead-end street anyway. There's a cul-de-sac down at the end, nowhere to go, no reason to be going fast on our street. But if somebody comes by, I'll like jump at the car and like scream at them, slow down! Yeah! Jane, Jane is not usually pleased with my actions when uh, when I go that route, but it's a character flaw. What do we got coming up for you this afternoon? Well, a bunch. As I said, we're going to get into a bunch of baseball. We'll look at the midweek games tonight for Ole Miss, for Mississippi State, and really some other pretty good games in the SEC or involving SEC teams. What happened last weekend? We spent some time yesterday talking about Ole Miss's weekend and Mississippi State's weekend. We'll look at the rest of the SEC, and we'll kind of use that as a jumping-off point for looking at the remaining schedule. Five weeks. We've reached the halfway point in SEC baseball, so five weeks remaining. We'll look at what Mississippi State's got left. We'll look at what Ole Miss has got left. I don't know that we'll necessarily make predictions, but we'll kind of look at what might happen, what could happen, what we think is likely to happen as we uh, we go through the remainder of the schedules. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah from uh, NFL.com has got a new mock draft out. It's uh, 3.0, his third edition Looks really good for Mississippi State and some slipping for Ole Miss guys in the most recent mock draft from Daniel Jeremiah. Russell Wilson got a new deal. He is not sleepless, but rather rich in Seattle. We'll take a look back at Mississippi State's spring game and some shocking candor, some shocking honesty. Maybe shocking because we don't normally get it from Rick Barnes, still the head basketball coach at Tennessee, although it was really close to being Rick Barnes, head coach at UCLA. All that coming up over the next three hours with you at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. His eyes are cold and restless. Well, Garth Brooks on a Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You can text the show, 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. Also, hit us on Twitter at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Glad to have you along 
Let's jump in and uh, take a look at what's coming up from a baseball standpoint tonight. Memphis and Ole Miss are meeting for the second time. Rebels played against Memphis at AutoZone uh, a few weeks back. Rippy, you were at that game. Ole Miss got the win. Was it a night where it was an impressive win or just kind of got by? You don't even remember, do you? These All these games blur together. Um. What was the Scott? What was he, the, he literally has no that idea just what happened. On that. You really just got me there. Three weeks ago when these two teams met, Ole Miss uh, got the win against Memphis in the uh, in the first meeting, able to kind of pull away and then hang on at the uh, at the end of the ball game to, uh, to get the win. That game was on March 26, 9-6 was the uh, was the final score. Uh uh, again, Ole Miss got that win. At that point, moved to 18-8 and eight on the year. The winning pitcher was Tyler Myers. He went three innings scoreless that night. And yeah, I remember you talking after the fact about uh, that was right before Ole Miss went to Arkansas. Probably time for Tyler Myers to start figuring into the pitching rotation a little bit more. It was the first time he'd thrown in 10 days, and that extended his scoreless inning streak to, I believe, around 10 at the time, which he threw, what, three and a third relief at Arkansas that next weekend. And then that was the game where you kind of thought you might saw something from Chase Cockrell. It was his birthday. He had three hits, I believe, and then a double late in the game that created some separation. Um, so, yeah, very midweeky. It did not go quickly. Uh, let's see. It was. You're right. Oh, it was a long game. I hope that's not a precursor. Three hours and 58 minutes in the first meeting, and Memphis used eight pitchers in the ball game. So we'll see if that uh, turns out to be the case tonight as well. Mississippi State at home tonight, and hey, Dad, Bulldogs red hot right now. What 31 and six overall? Only one of their six losses is a uh, a non-conference loss, and uh, tonight Texas Southern rolling in. Yeah, Mississippi State wins tonight. It'll be the best start that we can we can remember. And we, we look back. This is the best start since 1989. That team finished 54 and 14, um, and 32 and six would eclipse that. So Brandon Smith on the mound for the Bulldogs tonight. His first start of the season. That's sort of been a theme in these midweek games. Is someone who's looked good in relief. Let's let's try them out. But none of them have done really well as the midweek starter. Eric Sarantola and, and Jack Egan both. So we'll see what Brandon Smith does tonight when he gets the start. But from that standpoint. Against a SWAC team, you would expect Mississippi State to put up a lot of runs. So, should be uh, on to their 32nd victory and on to a, a big series this weekend with Arkansas. Probably not one that's going to help the RPI a whole lot tonight. Texas Southern comes in at 253 in yeah. the RPI. They are 8 and 24 on the year with uh, a strength of schedule of uh, yeah strength of schedule of 165. Um, yeah, not good. No, it's not. But look, this is. How many is it? Is it four or five games that Mississippi State has played this year against SWAC teams? Is this the fifth? I think I think it's the fourth. They've played what Pine Bluff, they played Alabama A and M, they played Valley, and I think they have this one. I think that's right. Is there a game against Jackson State also? I don't think they played Jackson State this year. May not have. I don't have the schedule so. up in front of me, but uh, yeah. And, and, so another SWAC game. But you're reminded that if you take care of business on the weekends, and you don't lose any of those games, it really doesn't hurt you that much. You look at Mississippi yeah. State right now sitting at 10 in the RPI. Mississippi Three. State played Jackson State on February 26th. There you go. Look at me just getting the what for about not remembering stuff. Yeah, because didn't that game – that game was dicey for a little while, and then Mississippi State blew it open. It was a 17-4 to final. Right, but look early in the game. It wasn't dicey for long, man. Hey, Dad, <laughs> take us inning by long. inning. 
No. Uh, no, not going to uh, not going to happen. So a night where Mississippi State should win. There's some pretty good matchups when you look across the league tonight. Auburn is at Georgia Tech. Uh, Louisville and Kentucky are meeting in Lexington. South Carolina, North Carolina tonight. Clemson is at Georgia. That game's on the SEC Network. Missouri against Missouri State, and usually Missouri State, pretty decent uh, baseball team. And then LSU, who is is it fair to say struggling right now? Palmineri said that he didn't remember ever having three serious leg injuries to players in the span of 11 innings. That's what happened against Missouri over the weekend. Uh, so LSU is in Lafayette to take on Louisiana Lafayette tonight. That's not an easy game for LSU. And you look back a couple of weeks, or I guess it was last week in the midweek, they lose to Southern University. They dropped two at Missouri, and the one that they won was like, what was it, 14 to 11 in 11 innings in, in game 11. one. Very close. Say what? 12 to 11. It was very close. Okay. So so 12 to 11 was the uh, the final in that one. What do you guys think about LSU right now? I mean, hey, Dad, I know you saw them. I saw them the one game in Starkville, that, that Thursday night game, and Mississippi State played well in that. Maybe the best two games that LSU has played this year, though, were games two and three, the Friday and Saturday games of the of the series against Mississippi State, which is unfortunate for the Bulldogs, but kind of a, a, an interesting look at LSU. Yeah, I don't know what to make of LSU. And, you know, we talked about them before the season with Zach Hess, and we weren't completely sold on him being a number one starter. And, and their pitching situation is very interesting. They don't have a left-hander on, on the roster. So, I mean, that, that is a problem when you play most teams. Uh, and then at, from a from a hitting standpoint, I mean, I look at Duplantis. You know, he came into the season seven hits behind Mangum. I think he's now 26, 27 hits behind Mangum. So he, he hasn't had the same kind of offensive year you might have expected. They, they, they're just not your typical LSU team with four or five guys that can really hurt you in that lineup and without a real front-line Friday night starter. So they're, they're a good team, but I, I don't know how dangerous they're going to become postseason unless they can play all of their postseason games at Duty Noble Field. Well, and yet, and yet LSU sitting at 11 in the RPI, they have the number five strength of schedule in the entire country. And when you look at what's coming up for LSU, you know, okay, where, where do you project it? It's a massive series this weekend against Florida, and it's big for both of those teams. LSU's in better shape than Florida is right now because Florida's sitting at 6-9 and nine in league play and hasn't been all that impressive. Then LSU has to go to Tuscaloosa. That's a place where they should, at bare minimum, win the series. Uh, you know, are they able to get a sweep? I, I don't know. LSU's not showed you shown you a lot to this point that makes you think they're capable of going on the road and getting a sweep. Uh, they host Ole Miss. Ole Miss has not won, has not swept a series in Baton Rouge since 1983. I was going to say 81. So 1983, the last time Ole Miss swept a series in Baton Rouge, won one, won a series, won a series. That's. They haven't won one since 83. They never get swept. They always lose two out of three there. Huh. So they always manage to get one, or seemingly manage to get one. Rarely get swept, but haven't won a series in Baton Rouge since 1983. Would you bet against that this year? Um, they they you say the, bet against wins that. The series? Yeah, do you think Ole Miss wins the series against LSU in Baton Rouge this year? How, I, it depends on how healthy LSU is in the field, and particularly on the mound. Like, how serious is Hess's injury? Like, 
You don't know what LSU looks like in three weeks when that series is. And Ole Miss is a Jekyll and Hyde team, man. You never know which team's going to show up at the ballpark. See, here, here's where I would disagree with you on that point. I think you know exactly what you're going to get when Ole Miss shows up to the ballpark, and it depends entirely on which hand the starting pitcher for the opposing team eats cereal with. <laughs> but, I mean, you said is that it at a the lefty? same time. You know, this team would, would went and took two out of three at Arkansas, but they lose to North Alabama. And they sweep Florida unmercifully. I mean, they just destroyed them. But then they lose two out of three to Kentucky. So that's what I mean by Jekyll and Hyde. I, no, team... no, I understand that. But if, if you go a little bit deeper than that, hey, Dad, and you look at the games they've lost, they beat Kentucky's right-handed pitcher, and then they lost and played poor offensively against both left-handed pitchers for uh, that. Um, I thought they were actually Kentucky pretty good out. against Thompson. The first guy I'll concede Ole Miss did not have very good at bats against. I thought they were pretty good against Zach Thompson. They just they scored two runs. Yeah, first round pick for a reason though. But you strand ten men on base for the game. Like I thought they gave themselves opportunities. I thought it was better than most of the time when they faced a lefty. The first game definitely though. Not not. If an opponent of Ole Miss is throwing a left-handed pitcher, are you picking Ole Miss to win or the opponent to win? Probably the opponent. I mean, your your point still stands, but I, I do. I thought they were. Actually, I think if you're trying to find like something to build off of, I thought they had some good at bats against Thompson. Okay, you know it's it's interesting when you and and we'll go through the remaining series that Ole Miss and Mississippi State both have coming up uh, in a little while this afternoon right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. But when you look at what's left for Ole Miss, they got to go to Auburn. Auburn is going to throw at least two right-handers, maybe three right-handers in the rotation. Uh, Texas A&M is the one that really scares you because Texas A&M has got Doxakis and Asa Lacey who are both left-handed pitchers and both left-handed pitchers that are really, really good. LSU obviously doesn't have a right-handed pitcher. Mississippi State's going to roll out Ethan Small, but then it's probably going to be a couple of right-handers after that, or at least that's the best guess. So we'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi. We're going to continue the college baseball conversation when we continue after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. It's the in the blood, the steers in the mud, and they call the thing rodeo. Wow, wow. As soon as you are Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Tuesday afternoon, absolutely gorgeous. Hope you were able to spend some time outside today at some point along the way. Porky, I'm sure you did, right? Yeah, I did. Did you actually? No. Okay. I had class outside today. Really? Yeah, teachers like... Let's go to the Grove? Yeah. Does anybody nice. pay attention when you have class outside? Um, I mean... For me, it's okay, not an inside-outside thing, so. But it was nice. So, so it just turns into a, a lecture, or are you doing like group activities outside, or There's what? There's only like six of us in this class, and so it was like a book discussion. It's a narrative journalism class, so like six of us just sat around and, sit. and wax poetic about some good old literature. Yeah, pretty much. Have you the read book? the book? Yep, of course I have. What was the book? Um. Beyond the Beautiful Forevers. I've read that actually. Have you really, Borky? Because of school. Could we you give could you give Rippy some cliff, could you give Rippy some cliff notes? 
<laughs> uh, to tell you the truth, I don't exactly remember it, but I do remember reading that in journalism school in college. Do uh, Hey, Dad, what's the biggest shenanigan you pulled in school as it relates to classwork that was supposed to be done that maybe you didn't quite do? Uh I had to do uh, an essay on a book one time, and they gave you three different topics. And the first topic, or one of the topics, you could answer it by reading, like, the first 25 pages of this 250-page book. So I just did that. And I got an A. There you go. So when I was in 11th grade, probably the best English teacher I've ever had, certainly one of the best English teachers I ever had, Dr. Murkison. And she missed like a month of school. She was she was on the uh, the committee that was working on some proposal for for the Oxford School District to become a blue ribbon school district at the time. And so we had a, a long term substitute, and we had a, a reading project where everybody in the class was assigned a different book. And because you couldn't you didn't have time during the school year to read like thirty books, it was a way for you to learn about thirty different books. So you were supposed to read the book that you were assigned or a couple of people were assigned, and then you had to do like an oral book report on it. And then ultimately there was a test on like a group of books, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks that you had given reports on. So I'm pushing the limits with this substitute teacher because I don't have it ready on the day that I'm supposed to have it ready or the next day or the next day after that. So we get to the end of the week. I guess it's a Friday. The name of the book was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers. I don't know why that that title has stuck with me, but she says, if you don't do your book report today, I'm going to have to give you an F. And I thought, I can't get an F. I've got to do a book report. And so I, there, there were two girls that were sitting next to me in class, and I said, hey, I need three names right now. And they just kind of looked at me funny. I said, no, just make up three names. Give them to me. So they did. I wrote down the three names, and I got up, and I gave a book report on a book that I didn't even know who the characters were. I used the three names that they had just given me, told a story, and finished up. And I said, all right, we're good. And the teacher goes, that's not how the story ended. And I looked at her and I said, I guess you read a different version than I did. And I sat down and I got a B. Ah, yes. The part that I feel guilty about, though, is the rest of my classmates then ultimately had to take a test with questions about a book that I had given a book report on that, I mean, I could have been talking about a Dr. Seuss book. Well, that's their Those are problem. Breaks, I that's, guess, right? That's not a Richard Cross problem. That's an everybody else problem. Yeah, I mean, nobody needs to make a hundred on a test like that, anyway. Nah, that's no. fine. Yeah, whatever. Statute of limitations have uh, have certainly run out on uh, on that at this point. They they cannot take away my high school diploma and can't take away the fact that some number of years later, I was invited back to speak at commencement. Basically, what we've learned. On I wonder this how show. disappointed everybody in the crowd was when they found out. Well, I'm sure they were disappointed, but I mean the the opening line of whatever the speech was the most was the most predictable thing ever. You know, you you thank everybody for the opportunity to be there, and I go, you know, I certainly didn't get to speak when I graduated from Oxford High School. So a few years later, it's nice to uh, to be able to stand on the stage. You should so have started learned, autographing their textbooks, whether they asked for it or not. That would have like upped your standing. Yeah, because everybody has their textbooks at graduation. <laughs> 
Whatever. Autograph. Didn't you tell us a story about something you did in college that was, you know, you had some shenanigans there, too? Have we learned that both your high school and college diplomas are sort of suspect? Tainted, you might say. What did I What did yeah. I say that I did in college? Something about a... I think you North Carolina oh, a couple. Of oh Spanish no 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 classes. no no no! I didn't North Carolina them. Uh, my 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 now wife of thirteen years, almost fourteen. Um, we we had a little bit of an arrangement uh, with yeah. regard to some of the online homework. You're like George O'Leary. It's falsified resumes. No, I have a diploma. George O'Leary did not have a master's degree, <laughs> but he put on his resume that he did. Why? You don't have to have a master's degree to be the head football coach at Notre Dame. You barely have to, to be able to do anything to hold that job. Yeah, well, well, there you go. Trying to pull one over on the good father at Notre Dame, and it didn't work out when they did a little bit of digging. What about last weekend uh, in the SEC? Florida in an absolute scenario where they had to win a couple of ball games. Florida takes two of three from South Carolina. Uh, not able to get the sweep. South Carolina salvaged one. Most surprising result of the weekend had to be Tennessee taking two of three from Georgia, right? Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. that he, Georgia, you thought, was on a roll, and, and Tennessee, not so much. And then, yeah, that 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 was one in the press box when those scores were coming across. I, I was very shocked to see. Still a two-horse race, probably, but Missouri, well, I keep saying Missouri, would have been Missouri and Tennessee will have decent chances at at-large bids. Yeah, but Missouri's not eligible. Yeah, that's would have yeah. been Missouri. Yeah, for the, for the yeah. postseason. Yeah, Missouri's that, not not that terrible. They're not bad. No, they're 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one in the SEC in an Eastern division that's been brutal. Well, when you yeah. have one pitcher like Sycamore, you got a chance on most weekends. Well, Candleberry's been pretty good too, as uh, the other left-handed arm. Well, they got three lefties in that uh, in that rotation. A uh, couple of other results from the weekend, of course. Mississippi State swept Alabama, and Ole Miss got two out of three again. I'm sorry, Kentucky got two of three from Ole Miss in Oxford. Missouri gets two from LSU, and really were close to getting all three in that series. We talked about it a, a moment ago. Lost uh, an extra inning, one-run game in the series opener. What do we make of Texas A&M and Auburn? It, it feels like Auburn has been backsliding, and yet they were yeah. able to get the mid-game on the road against Texas A&M. It feels like the Aggies have got really good pitching, but offensively, eh, still some question marks. They don't score a ton of runs. What do we make of those two teams? I agree with what you said about Auburn. I, th- I don't think they're a real threat in the West anymore. Now I could be wrong, and then they could put together something towards the end here. But they, they just... They, I just don't see them being a factor here towards the end. I mean, they're, 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 there's a clear gap between them and Alabama, but they are they are probably the sixth best team in the West right now. And then they've uh, had some injuries too. They have, yeah, they not have. LSU level, but like still pretty significant with yeah. Jack and then A and M. I'm just I'm not I'm not overly impressed by A and M. They're good. And they could easily take a series from from State or from Ole Miss or or from uh, from anybody, but. I don't know. I just I, I I what you're saying is correct, Richard. They can pitch, but they're they're not much of a threat offensively, and that's what's going to cost them uh, down the road. And, and the first two arms that Texas A&M throws at you, and, and John Doxakis and Asa Lacy. I mean, a couple of guys that are lefties that are coming at you mid 90s, low mid 90s, and have got good breaking balls. I mean, that's that's as good a one-two punch as you'll find. And I know we've said that about multiple teams, kind of around the country. They're just multiple teams that are in that category. 
Vanderbilt gets two of three this weekend from uh, Arkansas, and that's on the heels of losing two of three at Georgia. Is Vanderbilt clearly the best team in the East? Is Georgia clearly the best team in the East? Or are those two teams, in your mind, pretty even right now? They're pretty even. I I think Vanderbilt's the best team, but Georgia beat them two out of three. So... I'm not really sure which way to go on that. I think at the end, it'll be if you said pick one of those teams to make it to Omaha, I'd pick Vanderbilt. Uh, ooh. I tend to agree with you, and I think it's partly because of the offense. I mean, Vanderbilt can beat you in two different ways. If they get the arms going, they can be pretty good in that scenario. If it's a night where they're not pitching it all that well, they can put 12 runs on the board. They can go score 13 runs. They've got J.J. Blade, who leads the SEC in home runs and a bunch of other pieces in that lineup. And it looks like Kumar Rocker is finally kind of coming into his own. He's the SEC Freshman of the Week, was just outstanding against Arkansas in the game that he pitched. So if if Rocker continues to get better and Drake Fellows kind of goes out and gives you a chance, Vanderbilt's a team that it feels like has a chance to win every single series that they play in. This weekend, you've got Tennessee and Kentucky, Ole Miss on the road against Auburn, Missouri on the road against Georgia, Vandy goes to Alabama, Texas A&M is at South Carolina. Big series in Fayetteville as Mississippi State heads to Arkansas and the Gators are in Baton Rouge to take on LSU. Got more coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio, Tuesday afternoon. Hope you're having a good day. We'll be back right after this. Orky, you were oddly quiet when it came to uh, shenanigans. I was a good kid. Did the right thing, always. I don't believe you. Yeah, me. His parents <laughs> listen to the show. Yeah. Well, apparently so does my mother because I got the uh, the little emoji where you're kind of scratching your uh, your chin with the funny look, the hmm emoji from my mom after uh, telling that story uh, just a minute. I said, oh, Mom, it was just a good radio story. I'm not sure she was amused. Yeah, that's all these are, just great radio stories. None of it is seated in truth. Yeah, I mean, look, you can either – never mind. We'll just move on so as uh, not to dig uh, any holes any deeper. We are glad to have you along this afternoon. 601-879-4395 is the number for the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. Um so kind of wrapping up the baseball conversation, I know we've done a, a good bit of, of this already this afternoon. But, hey, Dad, I promised that we would look ahead to the remaining series. Not a lot of midweek games left for uh, for either Ole Miss or Mississippi State. For Ole Miss, they've got the game tonight against Memphis. Uh, they've got Mississippi State next Tuesday night in the Governor's Cup. By the way, I think all of us will be there for that. Borky, or, uh, are you actually going to be able to make it for that one? Well, it depends on when I can get out of here. Well, I understand that. I mean, it, it's six. That o'clock is that the is the ends. plan, though, for sure. Yeah, the, the, the show ends at six, and you leave at six oh one. So, no, I don't. I mean, you know, what is it? Six oh three? Closer to six thirty. Whatever, man. But when we're down there doing the show, you're yeah, because like, I like to walk out with you guys. Oh, okay. I was gonna say because you're in the parking lot usually before I am when we're walking yeah. out of the building. Um, Mississippi State, uh, or see, Ole Miss has got a, a midweek game against Arkansas State and then one more against Southern Miss as well. Remaining midweek games for Mississippi State, Texas Southern tonight out of the SWAC, Ole Miss next week in the Governor's Cup, and Memphis, and that is a, a home game. So only three midweek games remaining for Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, the road series this weekend is a big one, and really the next two weeks, I get, 
Well, I mean, let's be honest for a second. The next four weeks for Mississippi State are huge, and they're all big challenges. On the road against Arkansas, hosting Georgia, at Texas A&M, and then at Ole Miss before closing the regular season out with South Carolina. You, you, you certainly like the odds of getting a series win and possibly a sweep in the final weekend of the regular, se- of the regular season, but for a team that's chasing an SEC Western Division title, maybe a regular season crown, man, the next four weeks are brutal. Yeah. I mean, the path to being the SEC champion and the path to being the uh, a national seed are all right there in front of you, but you've got a really, really tough road. Those three road series are going to be very, very hard for Mississippi State. It's just tough to win on the road, especially when you're playing good teams. You mentioned State playing uh, Texas Southern tonight and their RPI. When you look at the RPI of these of these series, I think they're all top twenty five except for South Carolina, who I think is in the top fifty at least. So yeah. I mean that that's gonna that, everything's gonna correct itself and and take care of itself as far as RPI and strength of schedule and things like that. So yeah, big games coming up for Mississippi State. And the good news for them, like we said before, with those midweek games, even if they go two and one, that's only losing two out of conference games, and you're counting the Ole Miss game as an out of conference game. Uh, the whole season. That's that's the path to being a, a host if, at, at the at the bare minimum, and probably ending up no worse than the eight national seed if you can just you know handle your business in conference. I, I think state has a, has a great chance to to do well in these series, the way they're pitching and the way they're hitting right now. But they are going to be very very difficult. Well, it's sitting at thirty one wins overall. I mean, the path to forty wins in the regular season is is pretty straightforward as well. To your point a second ago, if you win two of the three uh, remaining midweeks. You know, take whichever one you want to as a loss. I mean, I guess of those three, you might say that Ole Miss would be the most likely most loss likely, in, a, yeah, for sure. in a midweek series. That gets you to 33, and then going 7 and 8 down the stretch in the SEC gets you to 40 before you even go to the SEC tournament. Those are numbers that generally not only are hosts but are national seeds, to your point just a moment ago. I will say this. With the exception of LSU, they're probably the three most difficult road environments in the SEC. You know Arkansas, if the weather's good, is going to have a packed house for all three of those games. Uh, You know in Oxford, you'll have big crowds on graduation weekend for those three games. And then Texas A&M, that's probably, what, the fifth biggest draw in the SEC after LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, uh, the, the place that really fills it up. I mean, South Carolina, when they've got it rolling, that can be tough as well. But that's not only three road assignments, but three difficult road environments to try and go on the road and get series wins. Yeah, it's definitely a backloaded schedule for Mississippi State for sure. They, they did well enough in the first half to put themselves in first place uh, at the halfway point. But, yeah, you're, you're right. If, if State wins the SEC championship, they will definitely deserve it. Even not playing Vanderbilt this year, this is yeah. a heck of a way to finish the, uh, the season off. For Ole Miss, the remaining series this coming weekend on the road against Auburn. Feel like it's a weekend where you need to get two. Then they host Texas A&M, go to Baton Rouge, host Mississippi State, and finish up the regular season on the road against Tennessee. And you know that's a Tennessee team that can absolutely pitch it. So no easy road, but if you've got to pick one or the other of those two finishing stretches, I guess you would probably take Ole Miss's five series as opposed to what Mississippi State's got. I think the story goes back to just no easy weeks or weekends when you get into league play. Hour number one in the books. We've got more coming up. We'll talk some NFL slash college football when we come out looking at this new mock draft from Daniel Jeremiah. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
after 4 o'clock with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Rippy and I are sitting at the ballpark. Ole Miss hosting Memphis tonight at Swayze Field. Hey, Dad, will be headed to the ballpark about an hour and a half from right now. And Michael Borky will be going home when the show's over and watching scenes from the ballparks. So it's a ballpark theme today for the guys at Sports Talk. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. They've got it figured out, and they're fantastic people to deal with. Like you'll, you'll really enjoy, Whether you ultimately do business or not with Mississippi Land Bank, I'd encourage you to have a conversation with them, to talk to them about the needs that you've got, whether it's a, a equipment needs or refinancing an existing loan. They're going to be fair with you, and they're going to be honest with you, and they're going to listen to what your needs are, and then they'll talk to you about what might be best for you, whether it's something that they can help with or whether they need to send you in another direction because of what it might make more sense um, or what might make more sense for you. That's just kind of the way they are. You're dealing with honest people who care about what's best for you. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. NFL.com. Daniel Jeremiah covers the NFL. He has Mock Draft 3.0 up. One week from Thursday, the NFL Draft begins in Nashville. And kind of an interesting twist in this most recent mock draft from Daniel Jeremiah. Hey, Dan, I'm sure you like what you see. Now, the bottom line is we, um, you know, we kind of got to wait and see how it all plays out. But four guys from Mississippi State going in the first round and none going from Ole Miss, which is a little bit counter to what we've seen with a lot of the other mock drafts that have been floating around. Yeah, I have a lot of trouble buying it, to be totally honest with you. I don't see any way forward that DK Metcalf is not going to be a first-round pick uh, for anybody. He's going in the first round, I would think. And then with this draft in particular, I don't think Montez Sweat's going to last all the way to the 17th pick of the NFL draft. I, everything else I have seen has him going in the top 10. Uh, you know, Simmons, late first round, sure, I can see that. Abram, late first round, uh, I've seen some mocks with that. This is one of the first ones I've seen that still has Jenkins in the first round. I saw some really early in the process that had him there, but this is the most recent one that has Jenkins in the first round. Most everybody else has got him as a mid-second rounder. With a guy like Jenkins, it's just going to be if you need a center. If somebody really has a need at center, they they might move up to take Elton Jenkins. But that said, you know, like I said, I think the sweat pick is a little low, and not having DK Metcalf in the in the first round is, I, I have trouble believing that. Yeah, on that Montez. Sorry, Borky, go ahead. Oh, just on that Montez Sweat thing, he's got Rashawn Gary and Josh Allen ahead of Montez Sweat. If you were picking, would you not go Sweat ahead of those other two first? I might, I might take Allen ahead of him because Allen is more of a true outside linebacker. Whereas you know, with Sweat and a three-four, you're going to have to sort of work him into that outside linebacker position. He's played at the end these past two years. But for for Rashawn Gary, no, I would definitely take Montez Sweat over him. Yeah, I tend to agree on the Rashawn Gary piece of it. I would take Josh Allen in front of Montez Sweat, and that's not a knock on Sweat. I, I love what he's able to do, and I think he's going to be really, really good. Uh, I just don't buy uh, – look, I mean, 
I love the way Josh Allen played and, and watched him more this past year than I had probably at any other time in Kentucky, but he's put together multiple good seasons there. So Montez Sweat at 17 to the Giants. Jeffrey Simmons at 21 to Seattle. That actually feels a little high. Jonathan Abram at 26 to Indianapolis, and Elton Jenkins at 31 to the L.A. Rams. So let's look at the overall draft and then kind of stop on those guys as we go through. Kyler Murray, overall number one to Oklahoma, the Heisman Trophy winner. You know the baseball saga is now behind him. He wants to be a quarterback in the NFL. Borky, do you believe that ultimately this is what happens, that Kyler Murray goes number one to the Cardinals? Yeah, and it sounds like that the, the Cardinals are, are trying their hardest to get somebody to deal for Josh Rosen. And, and if you're, and we'll get to it, if you're Cincinnati and you're really going to take a guy like Dwayne Haskins at 11, wouldn't you consider making a deal for Rosen first? Because if you're looking for a replacement, don't you at least find a guy that you know can play and succeed in the NFL behind the worst offensive line in potential league history? I'm surprised they haven't been able to get a deal yet. Maybe somebody's waiting till closer to the draft, but they are shopping him, trying to get a deal for Josh Rosen for sure to clear up the space to bring in Kyler Murray. Do you feel that much better about Josh Rosen and what you know or what you've seen from him? than you feel about Dwayne Haskins and what you've seen from him on college tape? You at least have a body of work. Dwayne Haskins has been a starter for one season. And it was at Ohio State, which has a similar setup to Alabama, where every game they play, they have better players than the team across the field from them. And that Ohio State offense, I read specifically on The Athletic when I was up at 2 a.m. because I couldn't sleep, as we talked about at the top, Uh, that Dwayne Haskins has a really high completion percentage and threw for a lot of yards, but that's mostly because that Ohio State offense relies on quick and short passing games, and they have elite receivers. So these are passes where, I mean, it is a one-yard throw at times where he catches a snap and literally just tosses it forward to a receiver coming on an end-around type route, a jet sweep type route, It'll gain 30 yards, and he gets a completion for 30 yards. So that Ohio State offense did not challenge him vertically to get that kind of completion percentage. So you have the fact that his receivers were better than every defensive back, the fact that his offensive line was better than every defensive line they played, his coaching staff was better than every opponent's coaching staff, and he's only done it for one season, where you saw Rosen in Arizona behind, statistically, one of the worst offensive lines to ever play in the National Football League I would lean more with him than I would Haskins. Okay. Nick Bosa going number two to San Francisco as an edge rusher. Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle. How about that? I mean, Ed Oliver, who at one point was projected to be the number one overall pick, comes back, really felt like he's kind of fallen off the radar and has been a middle-of-the-first-round projection. And now here you go. You get close to the draft, and there he is back in the top five. Hey, Dad, the – it's kind of been interesting to watch that, and it's amazing how teams can fall out of love with a guy and then they go back and they re-fall in love with him. Yeah, and I think a lot of it happened. You know, remember he had that weird incident in the season with his with Coach Major Applewhite and, and that jacket where it was just odd. And, you know, of course, he didn't play. That was at Memphis, wasn't it? I think so. And, and then, you know, he didn't play. He had some injury issues. But then at the Combine and then at his Pro Day in particular, he was just electric. With, with this physical stuff he was doing. And people were, and it's just sort of like you said, they were just like, oh, yeah, that, that's the guy. We forgot. So, yeah, for him, it looks like he's going to end up being a, a really high pick after all. 
Quentin Williams at number four to the Raiders. That's a very un-Raiders-like pick with uh, the number four pick of the draft. I mean, is there not a fast wide receiver that the Raiders have fallen in love with? <laughs> Mike Mayock's running the show now. It's a little bit yeah. different. A little bit, a yeah. uh, little bit different. Josh Allen going at number five to Tampa Bay. Daniel Jones, the quarterback uh, from Duke to the New York Giants at number six, uh, which means what they would have to would they move up to that? I guess number six is the pick. Um, Jaguars taking an offensive lineman, uh, offensive lineman going to Detroit, tight end going to Buffalo, Devin White, the linebacker from LSU, going to Denver at 10, Dwayne Haskins at 11 to Cincinnati, Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan, going to Green Bay at 12, the Dolphins taking Rashawn Gary at an edge position at the 13 pick, and this note that the Dolphins did not take an offensive or defensive lineman last year, and that they will go heavy on those positions in this draft. Greedy Williams, the cornerback from LSU at 14 to the Falcons. 15, Brian Burns, the edge rusher to the um, uh, Washington Redskins. Now, I'm not taking Brian Burns out of Florida State over Montez Sweat. No. You know, we, we, we debated with Rashawn Gary and with, um, uh, with Josh Allen. Brian Burns is not going in my book ahead of Montez Sweat. Who's this guy yeah. have the Titans driving? The Titans at 19. He's got Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle from Clemson. You on board with that? Yeah, as long as they don't draft a kicker. A couple of people pointing out on the <laughs> C Spire text line, and this is worthwhile. Yeah, the uh, the Raiders did get a fast wide receiver that's kind of crazy in the offseason. His name's Antonio Brown. That's right. He's plenty cuckoo to go to uh, go to Oakland, isn't he? I mean, oh, yeah. with the bridges he's burning in Pittsburgh, too. Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy that risked getting suspended and fined to pay back. Uh, what's his name? Uh, his name's escaping me. You got to help me out Montez here. Montez Burfitt. Thank you. Montez Burfitt. Risk getting a fine and suspension to defend his boy has been with him all the way, and suddenly when he leaves Pittsburgh and everybody realizes that Smith-Schuster has a higher upside and is not a complete lunatic, and so he's trying to burn it all down. If I'm an NFL, the fan of an NFL team, I want Antonio Brown. I don't care how talented he is. Far away from my franchise. It's a nightmare. Jeremiah says this about Jonathan Abram at 26 to the Colts. He says, selfishly, I would love to see him play opposite Malik Hooker in Indianapolis. Abram can play in the box and allow Hooker to make plays over the top. So uh, interesting note there. Drew Locke is a quarterback to Green Bay at number 30. Elton Jenkins, the offensive lineman for Mississippi State at 31. And then Dexter Lawrence from Clemson rounding out the first round. More coming up the Renaissance Bank Studio. One team that we know is not going to be drafting a quarterback, the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson and his agent had said that if they didn't get a deal done – by what midnight last night, Monday night at midnight. That's you know the day that had been set. That was the deadline. Then they weren't negotiating anymore. That they would go through this last year of the contract with him making seventeen million dollars, whatever it was, and then he would become an unrestricted free agent after the year. Maybe he ends up in Seattle, and maybe he ends up somewhere else. But. They didn't let it get to that point, and you understand why, right? Russell Wilson becomes the highest-paid player in the NFL. He's going to make $35 million a year for the next four years. Contract that takes him to the age of 35, 
and through the 2023 season. And when everybody in the NFL puts a premium on having a marquee franchise quarterback, if you've got one, you pay him. Period. That being said, of these guys that have gotten these monster deals, can you name a single one that's won? Matthew Stafford hasn't. Joe Flacco's was a disaster. Matt Ryan didn't. Well, Matt Ryan's been pretty good. He has, he should have but... had one. He had a twenty-eight to three lead in the third quarter of one. <laughs> yeah. Now that's a good point, though, especially with the percentage against the cap. So Russell Wilson will now take eighteen point six percent of his team's salary cap. That's second in the NFL behind Aaron Rodgers by just point three. The other guys at the top of the list. Matt Ryan hasn't won a Super Bowl. Matt Stafford hasn't won a Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins, it's a laughable deal. Andrew Luck, been injury prone, but he's worth it. Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, Nick Foles, and Tom Brady at only 8%. So so Russell Wilson, as good as he is, Super Bowl champion, I think he deserves this deal, and Seattle was right to get it done. But Tom Brady takes 10% less money against the cap than Wilson now will. That's why the Patriots are so good. On top of having the best coach and maybe the best quarterback to ever live, they have team-friendly deals. The Steelers the same way. Roethlisberger has a team-friendly deal. Drew Brees at the Saints, team-friendly deal, which allows them to spend on other people to build a roster. Seattle's just chosen not to do that before this deal, so they have to do it after. But it's worth noting that these big-time quarterback contracts mostly aren't working out. And the two methods to winning have been either a veteran guy taking a hometown discount or you getting a guy on his rookie deal like a golfer at Dak, and I wanted to make sure I had this right. Matt Ryan signed that extension after their Super Bowl run. I want to rewind for a second. Why do you say in that group of quarterbacks that Kirk Cousins' deal is laughable? Over the last four years, Kirk Cousins has thrown for 4,100, 50 yards or better. That's great. What has he won? including nearly 5,000 yards in 2016. He's never even been in the playoffs, He had 30 right? touchdowns last year. He's not thrown more than 13 interceptions in any of those years. Having a guy that can do that year in, year out is something you, you need. In December of this year, Kirk Cousins was 4-23 and all-time with uh career record against teams with a b- above 500 record. Yeah. Okay. He's really good against bad teams. Isn't that partly a function of the teams that he's been on have been bad? Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're going to pay a quarterback that kind of money, you've got to expect him to elevate you to be able to beat some good teams. Yeah, they got worse. Yeah, they- the Vikings got worse transitioning from Keenum yeah. to Cousins. Basically the same team other than the quarterback yeah, but, position. But Okay, he's got one year in Minnesota, though. At this point. So we'll see what happens going forward in year two of this contract. But you're not talking about making lemonade out of lemons in Washington. You're asking a guy to make lemonade out of a pile of dog poop. Aren't you? That would seem difficult. It seems, I mean, look, put Tom Brady on, on the Redskins and tell me if the results are any different. Put uh, Drew Brees on the Redskins and tell me if the results are noticeably different. Put Aaron Rodgers on the Redskins. Are the are the the no are the results noticeably different with any of those three guys playing quarterback for the Redskins in the three years that 
that Kirk Cousins was a starter? I I, I don't know. I'm asking. I, I mean, I'm open to be persuaded here. When the Saints were especially bad, I mean, they had historically bad defenses. The the worst defense in the NFL for multiple years, and they were still a decent team that were competitive in almost every game. They didn't make the playoffs, but they, it was a it was a team that was competitive. And Drew Brees was still putting up just gaudy numbers despite having a bad team around him. What was the record of the Redskins those last four years with with Cousins as the starter? Google machines are working overtime all of a sudden, right? Yeah, they the playoffs. Head, I do not remember. And I, that's all you need to know. They weren't in the playoffs. You guys well, realize I mean, to, to Berkey, Borky's point just a second ago, though, the Saints weren't in the playoffs in those years where the rest of the team was bad. He just put up big numbers. Yeah, and I'll give you that the Redskins are a franchise riddled with dysfunction, but they had some talent on those teams. You got the records there? Uh, not yet. No okay. So do you believe that Russell Wilson was worth $35 million and taking up 18.5% of the cap space for Seattle? Well, it's like the weird situation where, yeah, you got to pay him, but the method itself hasn't been proven to work. Right. And you guys know who's next, right? The next guy to get this kind of contract. Yeah, it's going to be Dak Prescott. How big is his contract going to be? He's not I don't getting know $35 if be, million. I don't know if it'll be this, but it's going to be in the 30-plus 30 range. It's going to be there. Is it? It might though, be longer I've, too. It might be. It might try to go for a five or six year deal because he's just younger than uh, than Wilson. How much leverage does Dak really have, though? I know he's been wildly successful, but if you like, if you're the Cowboys, why are you not looking around and being like, "Look, man, no one else is about to pay you this." Well, there's that. But I talked to uh, back in uh, October, I want to say, I talked to John, uh, John Machota of the Dallas Morning News, who, who's covered the Cowboys, and he said. The, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, Dak is their guy. They're gonna pay him big. It's 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 just it's just because maybe it's just Jerry Jones and he'll do what he wants. But that contract is going to happen. I I don't disagree with you that it's going to happen, and it makes sense to me that it would be a five or six year deal. But is it going to be a five year, hundred and fifty or hundred and seventy five million dollar deal? If it's anything over twenty five million a year, I'd be surprised. I would too, and, and anything over that. Truthfully, would be a bad deal for Dallas. I mean, I, I agree. I get what you're saying, but I, I think he's going to end up 30 plus. That's just my opinion. So he will be one of what four quarterbacks in the NFL that makes 30 million a year or more. You, you now got Russell Wilson at 35 million. You've got uh, Aaron Rodgers at what 33 and a half million. Did Cousins end up making over 30 million? I believe so. I I think he did. Is there another one? What's Drew Brees making now? 25. Hmm. Yeah, I just... I I, I get the... I understand the the idea that Jerry Jones said, I'm going to pay my quarterback, you know, top dollar. That makes all the sense in the world. I get that because of who you're talking about. But there there, there is an element of bidding against yourself, isn't there? There is. There is for sure within NFL free agents, especially when you feel like you have your guy and, you know, the fans are big on him. And, and, you know, I mean, imagine if the Saints let Breeze walk under any circumstance. It would be a revolt. So sometimes you do have to just sort of overpay your guy. Would there be a revolt revolt in Dallas if they let Dak walk? I don't know if it it wouldn't be like with Breeze left New Orleans or anything like that because there are definitely some some Dak doubters in Dallas for sure. That's a lot. Try saying that three times fast. Um, 
But that said, I mean, he's put up great numbers. You know, he's, we talked about Breeze having you know some issues with with the defense. Dallas has had those in his first four years as well. They they, they haven't gotten better from his first season, where everybody thought, wow, this this team's about to take off with him and Ezekiel Elliott, and you've got this this big offensive line in front of them, and they just haven't done those kind of things that you might have predicted. Russell Wilson. Now making thirty-five million. Aaron Rodgers thirty-three and a half million. Matt Ryan thirty million. Those are the only three thirty-million-dollar annual quarterbacks in the NFL. Kirk Cousins at twenty-eight million with the Vikings, and Jimmy Garoppolo at twenty-seven and a half million with the San Francisco. We forgot 49ers. about Garoppolo, didn't we? With the, yeah. with the big contracts, yeah, yeah. You know what this says to me? If you want to be the best at something, go be the best in baseball instead of being the best in football. Kyler Murray. Sorry, I, I that little thing in my throat there. I'm well, sorry. basketball, too, if you're also seven feet tall. But, well, yeah, there's something <laughs> yeah. to that as well. And and all those guaranteed contracts in the NBA and in Major League Baseball, you've got guaranteed money. You don't have guaranteed contracts, though, in the NFL. Interesting time. And it was an interesting way that uh, Russell Wilson put out the announcement that he was staying. Lying in bed with Ciara last night, he snaps a little video and puts it out there that says we got a deal he just wanted to prove to everybody that she was actually with him yeah uh, yeah, maybe so sports talk mississippi with you renaissance bank studio renaissance bank understanding you just after five o'clock with you tuesday afternoon sports talk mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm richard cross michael borky brian haydad and brian scott rippey on your radio sports talk brought to you every day by mississippi land bank online mslandbank.com mississippi land bank where they know the lay of the land let's jump over onto the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team kendall rogers on your radio from d1 baseball and D1Baseball.com. Kendall, we have made it to the halfway point of league play, and especially in the Western Division, just a great big old log jam. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is kind of what we expected coming into the season. I thought a lot of these teams are pretty equal. I think in our preseason uh, discussion, we kind of talked about that, these teams just all being equal. And I think right now, you know, really with the exception of maybe Auburn, Alabama, and the West, I, I just think with Auburn, uh, the longer they have, you know, no Jacko, and the longer they have, have no Davis Daniel, I just don't see them staying in the race. Uh, but other than that, I tell you what, it, it's really anybody's game because all these teams uh, can beat each other, and you know, even Ole Miss. I know they lost the series to Kentucky, but it's kind of one of those weird deals where, you know, seven inning games, especially a seven inning doubleheader, is really kind of an equalizer. And so, I'm not going to say I'm just washing away that series, but uh, for me, it's kind of an outlier. Yeah, it was interesting on, on Sunday. It it felt like Ole Miss had finally gotten some offensive momentum late in yeah. the second game. And I think maybe in the last three innings ended up stranding ten runners or you know, ten runners for the game and seven in the last three innings. And yeah. it's one of those deals where you wonder if okay, if you play two more innings, they have enough to get over the hump, but both teams play on the same field in the same conditions and so you don't get to sit around and whine about that very much. No, you're right. Now, you know, honestly, I was a little concerned for Ole Miss when I saw that Zach Thompson starting that third game because, you know, Kentucky hasn't been very good this year, but Zach Thompson has been Mr. Consistent for those guys. And so I thought when they had Thompson starting, they would have a chance, especially in a seven-inning game, because if you look back at, you know, some of Kentucky's games over the last couple of weeks or last few weeks, you know, against A&M, 
they were in the game early. Thompson kept them in the game, and they turned things over to the bullpen. And that's really where Kentucky's falling apart is when they turned things over to the bullpen. And so basically you have two games where Ole Miss really cannot tap into what Kentucky's weaknesses are. Yeah. Kendall, I don't know if anybody in the country has spent more time, maybe the combination of you and uh, a couple of your colleagues, covering this vote that is coming up at the uh, the end of the week. And it's the vote about whether or not college baseball pro- programs can exercise the option to hire a third assistant. It's not something that is mandated, uh, that this vote would mandated, but it's college baseball and college softball being yeah. given the option to hire a third assistant it looks like the vote's going to be really close. I, I know you're way closer to this situation than most. With, with the people that are set to oppose it, to vote no, what's the reason? What's the rationale behind a no vote? Well, the rationale is pretty stupid, really. I mean, most of the people I'm talking to are saying that they don't think softball needs a paid third assistant. And my thing is this, like, hey, you know what? If you don't want to pay it, you don't have to pay it. The, the, the legislation just says you have the option to pay it. So what I don't get is there's no downside to passing it. If you pass it, you don't want to pay it, you just don't pay it. Now, some would argue that, you know, your neighbor down the street, at, let's say you're Texas and you're voting against it, then A&M can get paid a volunteer where you're not paying. But at the end of the day, like, hey, that, that's your own decision. So basically it's, it's kind of one of these, uh, you know, it's kind of one of these, like almost like a communist society kind of approach to where, like, hey, if we can't have it, then nobody else can have it. So it, it, it just blows my mind. I mean, the ACC was a league that until about two days ago was a slam dunk, and all of a sudden uh, you've got schools like Florida State, North Carolina. Like, come on, Florida State? I mean, voting against this? I mean, that just that just blows my mind. It really, really does. Like, I can't believe it. So, And, Kendall, uh, it can't be a monetary argument when you've got schools like Texas and Oklahoma who've got, you know, 200-plus million-dollar athletics budgets – that absolutely could pay seventy or eighty or a hundred thousand dollars for a third assistant in two sports yeah. and not even blink. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got Southland Conference teams unanimously saying, "Yes, we want this. Yeah. We want the option to be able to do yeah. this." Well, I had you know, there's the Southland Conference. I, I did a story in this last week. The Southland Conference, the biggest athletic budget in their league is eighteen million dollars. The San Houston State, their smallest athletic budget that voted yes on this, and the University of New Orleans. At six million dollars, and Texas at two hundred fifteen million dollar athletic budget votes no. Uh, it makes zero sense. But you know, this is kind of the way way it is for college baseball. It's the number two uh, grossing sport in terms of the NCAA revenue, and the, the sport just continuously just gets crapped on. And you know, when you look at the SEC, the SEC was unanimous. Uh, I've always believed if the SEC wants to do it, when it comes to college baseball, you should do it. Uh, and this is, you know, this is pretty much the same thing. Yet some of these leagues are going against it, so it baffles me. But uh, does it surprise me? Not that much. Kendall, I, th- this may be—you may think I'm ridiculous for asking this question—but this is a proposal that has been led and kind of spearheaded by the SEC. And the SEC has tried to kind of make some concessions. That, that's the reason that the, the softball assistant is part of this, or at least as I understand it, because yeah. early on it was said, look, if you're going to do this, you got to do it for both softball and baseball. So that's the proposal that was put together. Is there an element of this where the Big 12, the ACC, perhaps others that are out there that might vote against it are saying, you know what, this was the SEC's idea, screw them, we're not supporting one of their ideas. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I had somebody a couple weeks ago, uh, an athletic director of one of these ACC schools, 
who's voting in favor say that he thought that some of these ADs were voting against it only because the SEC uh, votes against it. And, you know, if I, number one, if I find out somebody on the record that has said that to somebody, uh, I'm writing a story about it and, and, and you know, you know, unleashing these people. But the other thing is, man, like how petty of a freaking approach is that when you're talking about X amount of coaches around the country who all of a sudden they might have three kids. Like I, I had a story of a guy that, that's a Southland Conference volunteer. The guy coaches, he gets camp money for about $22,000 a year. And the guy waits, like in off season, waits tables in this Southland town to make enough money to stay on staff and follow his dream as a baseball coach. And by the way, the guy has three kids. So for anybody, an AD, to sit around and potentially make this that petty of a deal when you've got people like this guy who literally is barely putting food on the table to coach college baseball, uh, I, I would love to talk to these ADs. Yeah, it's uh, it's really an interesting time. Hey, quick thought. Let, let's let's touch on Mississippi State and Ole Miss sure. for a second. Mississippi State uh, they get the sweep over Alabama in dominant fashion. Massive series for the the Western Division standings this weekend when they go to Fayetteville. How does that one play out? You know what, Arkansas man, it's kind of like flip a coin. You know, you don't really know what to expect, right? It's kind of like Ole Miss a little bit. You know, when I look at Arkansas. Again, the same issues that, that have played them all season long played them over the weekend at Vanderbilt. You know, they got a nice start from Isaiah Campbell. You can expect that on Friday night. That's going to be a great matchup at East. Isaiah Campbell has been as consistent as anybody in the country. Uh, that's going to be a great matchup. And then after that, you know, Arkansas things get a little interesting. I mean, they really struggled on the mound last weekend at Bandy, and uh, they're going to have to be better this weekend. They're typically better at home. But again, it, it boils down, to me. It just boils down to Arkansas's two and three guys. They've got to be able to go out there and uh, put together solid starts and of course you know stay with the with Ginn and whatnot you know they're they're not exactly in pristine shape in terms of the starting rotation either but they're in better shape and, and then a thought on Ole Miss as they go to um, they go to Auburn this weekend this is a weekend where Ole Miss really needs to win a series on the road isn't it you know this is honestly a weekend that you can look at potentially as a sweep that they can win the opening game they're going to get a great performance uh, out of Will Etheridge in that opening game against Tanner Burns but if they can get past Tanner Byrne, uh, there is a pathway there to sweep that series because, you know, when you look at Brooks Fuller and guys like that, it's just such a huge step down when you compare it to, you know, to Casey and uh, whatnot. So uh, I think if you're an old mess, you're looking to get two out of three, but you're honestly hoping to sneak out all three uh, when you look at Auburn. You know, at some point I just kind of wonder with Auburn, you know, just getting beat up the way they are in some of these games, not having two of their starters, it's something that's got to wear on you, right? Well, you would think so, and and then you add into the fact that Will Holland's hitting like two twenty this year. Yeah, it's been it's been a weird season for those guys. I'm still a believer in those guys offensively, but you're right. I mean, it's, Will Holland, uh, I you know I saw him at UCF was about a month ago now, and he was hitting about two twenty, and I thought like, oh, he's going to get it together. Well, no, he's not really hitting much better. So maybe it's just one of those things. It's one of those draft year uh, doldrums kind of thing. Where are you going this weekend? I am off, my man. I've, I've gone somewhere every single weekend this year. Uh, the wife wants to do a lot of Easter stuff. So I'm going to sit around here, uh, get about two iPads, a couple of TVs ready, and watch some baseball all weekend. There you go. Not a bad way to uh, spend the weekend. Kendall, appreciate your time, man. We'll talk to you, you soon. You got it, guys. You have a good week. Thanks. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball.
conversation with, uh, with Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball just a couple of moments ago. He pointed to the pitching matchup, and we haven't gotten to that point of the week yet where we kind of break down those matchups. But Isaiah Campbell against Ethan Small on Friday night at Baum Stadium, and is assuming that it's not like four degrees and raining, it's kind of got a 10,000 people at the stadium feel to it. That'll be an electric Friday night. Hey, Dad. Or thir- so. Wait, it'll be Thursday night, won't it? Thursday night, yeah. Thursday night. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, a great pitching matchup. Two good teams. And, uh, yeah, should be should be good college baseball. You think JT Ginn goes back to Friday, or since he threw on Sunday this past weekend, they'll pitch him on Saturday in game three? I think they'll they'll pitch him on Saturday so you know because it was going to be a short week regardless yeah. pitch him on Saturday and then next week you can rotate him back into Saturday and he'll have a full week's rest yeah be interesting to uh, see the uh, the route they go with that when it's uh, when it's all said and done you can text the show 601-879-4395 there was a question Borky and uh, what was it Dan in no it wasn't Dan somebody else in Charleston asked uh who Tom Brady's wife was, and you responded to him on Twitter, and he responded, I wanted to hear Richard say it. But he wanted to hear me say Giselle Bunchen. Well, he was getting on to you because you said Sierra weird. How do you say it? Sierra? Sierra. I said Sierra, right? Yeah. And it's actually Sierra? Yes. Yeah. Like, do you say I didn't chime in because I didn't know. I, I, I don't know anything about it. I know that she's Russell Wilson's girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever. Well, look. I mean, Gazelle is a sweet lady, or she seems like a sweet lady. <laughs> I mean, Gazelle Bounchin Bound- has made a lot of money through the years. Uh, a lot of money. The world's highest paid supermodel, as Borky pointed out. She makes significantly more money than him. Think about that. The greatest quarterback to ever live meaning the most popular position in America's favorite sport by a long shot, does not make as much money as his model wife. Uh, let's see. There was a time. What does Google tell us? Uh, Bunchen was unseated from the top spot on Forbes' annual list for the first time since 2002. This past year, the Brazilian supermodel took home $17.5 million dollars about 43% less than 2016 when she made $30.5 million. Thoughts and prayers. So, Borky, Tom's actually going to make a little bit more than Giselle this oh, year. Now, I don't, I don't finally know how caught her. her. Yeah, I, I don't know her, how her 401K is performing. I imagine it's pretty good. Maybe she's getting those royalties from that awful taxi movie that she did with Jimmy Fallon years ago. Um, Tom Brady's wife was in that movie? I think it was it, it was about a taxi driver. I don't remember what it was called, but it was Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah, and he was a yeah. cop, but he couldn't drive. Yeah, she was the the bank robber in that movie. Uh, it was called Taxi. Yeah. Uh, according to the interwebs, she has a net worth of about $400 million, Whew. which is uh, about $380 million more than her husband, or about $300 million more. Apparently, they have a combined net worth of $580 million. Remember the Olympic opening ceremony where there was a good five minutes of just her walking across the field? And that was like the highlight of the opening ceremony for the Rio Olympics a few years ago? 
I don't, but it doesn't seem like it was the worst decision that the Brazilian organizers could have made. I mean, these things are, I mean, you've seen an opening ceremony. There are these extravagant displays of the nation's culture. And I'm not kidding. The biggest block of the entire thing was her by herself with the spotlight walking across the field, like model walking across the field. On the catwalk? Say what, hey, Dad? On the catwalk? No, like on the field in the center of the opening ceremony of the Olympics. She she didn't walk on the catwalk? On the catwalk. Yeah, Richard got it. Richard's getting references. You know it's a good show. On the catwalk. Yeah. Rippy's never heard that song. Song at Borky, have you ever heard that song? You guys, I mean, you're you're dating yourselves here. I have no idea. I'd date myself. What I'm saying. What are we talking? I'm about? a model, and you know what? Anyway, yeah. Um, that's the one we are are talking about. Um, somebody sent me a text that I don't even know if she's actually eligible for a 401k. That 401k was just. The, I, I meant her general <laughs> investments. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe Victoria's Secret didn't actually have a contribution plan where they would match up to fifteen percent of her salary. I, 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 yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, probably not eligible for exactly that. Let's. Um, that could be the start of the college football fix. Let's get to something a little bit more serious. College football fix right now. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. You can start online at buyfordnow.com. That's where you can see about. And the great savings opportunities you've got going on. It's the spring savings event happening right now. It means good financing rates. Also means some cash back on some of the cars, trucks, and SUVs that you love. Maybe the Explorer, maybe the Expedition. It's fantastic. You get the Expedition Max. It's up long. You get the third row of seats. Still got a little storage in the back. Good way to get the entire family run. Michael Borky's going to need one of those before he knows it. He'll need the extra seating and all the extra space for all the stuff Borky, that's one thing that we've not talked about. So you've asked about advice and all the. You don't understand, and I'm not talking down when I say this. Please understand. No, it, no. It, I... You can't understand until you have a child the amount of stuff that you have to take with you when they're little. A car seat, a stroller, sometimes a pack and play. Uh, sometimes it's you, you got to take extra diapers and extra sets of clothes. You got to have extra storage, so you might need to get that Ford Expedition Max. Just saying. Uh, Mississippi State spring game on Saturday. Hey, Dad, I know you were at baseball. Uh, I'm sure you've had a chance to talk to some people and maybe even go back and watch the replay of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the takeaway from from Saturday in Starkville? It was sloppy. Not just the oh. weather. It, it just a sloppy, sloppy performance um, offensively. Uh, you look at the stats, and they, they really sort of speak for themselves. Uh, Keaton Thompson, 9 of 18, throwing the ball. Uh, so once again, just right at 50%. He, he, he still has not, in public, had a game where he could throw 55 60% uh, completion rate. Now, State did run the ball. Uh, with Kylan Hill and Nick Gibson relatively effectively. They averaged uh, between them about five yards per carry. But the passing game still looks like it's going to be a work in progress going into the fall. I mean, Stephen Gidry didn't have a catch. Um, Nobody had more than 31 yards receiving. Now, this, we should be clear, this game was not a game. It was not just, you know, we split two teams up and they're going to scrimmage. There was some seven-on-seven work, which, I mean, when you hear there's seven-on-seven and – 
you're telling, you're telling me there's no pressure on the quarterback and we're still not completing passes at a high rate. That's not a good thing for Mississippi State's offense. So, I mean, the receiver situation at State, it's just not great. I mean, I don't think they have a guy who, you know, can be a real difference maker for them, and that's going to be a problem uh, when they get to fall. They're going to have to be a little bit one-dimensional, and they're going to have to be one-dimensional through through Hill and Gibson, I think, uh, and not just the quarterback running the football. But a sloppy, sloppy performance for, for, for Mississippi State, and not, nothing to take away from it that gives you a ton of excitement for uh, for August. Hey, Dad. Borky in his rundown wrote, Kylan Hill had more carries than his QB with two exclamation marks. That's a good thing, right? That's something you want to see if you're Mississippi State. You want to see Kylan Hill be the focus of this offense. He's the best player on the offense. He needs to be the playmaker. He needs to be the guy with the ball in his hands. He needs to get 20-plus touches a game. If State's doing that, they're going to be able to keep some defenses honest and have a chance to pass the ball a little bit, just sort of the same way they were in 2017 in Mullins last year. This doesn't have to be the best offense in the conference. It just has to be better. It has to be in the, the middle of the pack. If they're the sixth or seventh-ranked offense in the conference, the defense is going to be plenty good. Not as good as last year, but it's still going to be very good, and that'll be enough to win you know, seven, maybe even eight games. Yeah, but what you're saying makes it hard for me to believe that they can be the sixth or seventh best offense in oh, the you're SEC. Right. No, you're right. If if they're if they're fairly one dimensional on the offensive side of the ball, this is not a league where being one dimensional with a run game is a good way to go and make a living. I mean, what you're saying makes sense, but at the same time, that's what they did in 2017, and they were good enough. I'm trying to I'm trying to get the uh, the stats up here. State was seventh in total offense in uh, in 2017. They were the second best yeah. rushing offense. Okay, y- yes, but let the... me punch a hole in that theory for a second. Okay, seventh in total offense, but with a quarterback who had the chance to hurt you with his feet. But Keaton Thompson has that as well. He can be a threat in the running game. He's not going to be the all-time SEC leading rusher at quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald was, but he is a more than capable runner, probably a better runner than a thrower, similar to Fitzgerald in that aspect. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think this team can, like I said, they, they're not going to be super explosive offensively, but can they control the clock? Can they get four and five yards of carry with Hill and Gibson? Can they can they be good enough in the passing game to win? I think so. I think so. And defensively, the drop-offs, it's going to be a drop-off for sure, but it's not going to be anything calamitous. There's still plenty of talent on the defense, and that will keep them in a lot of games. Three first-round NFL draft picks, if it turns into that, that's a lot to replace. Mention college is. football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.